Oh, I'm sorry. I'll make this stop. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's good because we need to check levels of stuff. Okay. Okay. So just say, um, say some things. Okay. These are some things that I'm saying. Um, it's a factual statement. Yes. I'm excited about uh, Thanksgiving tonight. It's going to be good. It's going to be so good. That potato soup, man. I'm excited. I'm excited for everything. So I, I meant to say, I was uh, when I was at the store, I was picking up ingredients and I felt like I was forgetting something. So I brought it up on your blog mm. and saw that it was like three things. And I was like, <laughs> oh. I'm super glad my blog is helpful. I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not missing anything. And all the things that I were adding or that I was getting were additions that I had made to it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Hello friends and welcome to episode six of So Poetry. Um, I am hanging out with my dear, dear friend, Anne-Marie Brockmeyer, um, actually at her, at her house, her place of habitation, um, because we're going to be enjoying Thanksgiving dinner together later today. Yes, we are. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, if you'd like to introduce yourself, you can, if not, I can, whatever. Okay, um, I will try. My name's Anne-Marie, and I do a lot of things in my life. I am a grad student. Um, uh, I'm getting my master's in counseling psychology and I also work full-time in mental health. Um, I am a huge consumer of literature and art and um, I think that's, is that good? Yeah, is that, that it? works. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> You're so proud of yourself. I am. That is probably one of the best things that You're I've done so in the last, I don't know, like 27 years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually thinking earlier today, I was like, I, I can't wait to see Michael's smug face when he says, so, poetry. <laughs> Although I heard, um, this really doesn't have anything to do with anything, um, okay. but I heard on NPR Oh, man, this was maybe back in the summer or so. Um, they were doing a... They had some story about um, if it's professional or not to begin sentences with so. If you're conducting interviews or you're doing um, radio work. How it, dare they tell you how to be? Well, but it was just... Um, I mean, yes. <laughs> but it was, it was interesting to me that... Um, I, I want to say some people wrote in, I think that this is the, how, it, how it went down, but I could very well be wrong, but some people wrote in to NPR and stated, said um, that they were um, like upset by how many news, maybe NPR specifically, but kind of news organizations as a whole would, would start, like um, interviewers or um, reporters would start what they're about to say with, so... Um, as just it be it became kind of a, a crutch or a, mm -hmm. a tick of the language, um, and it was very shortly after I came up with the name of this podcast. Oh no! And I was like, oh, I don't, because uh, I've been now that I know about it, or I've I've listened to that story. I, I 
whenever it happens on NPR, my ears kind of perk up mm, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you've now ruined NPR for me. That's what you're saying. Sorry. It's okay. They didn't of some of some of the other news organizations. I don't think that NPR did it a whole lot, or they mm. did. They ran some sort of analytic, and it was mm. I think maybe in like a like a six minute piece. It was maybe like two or three times mm-hmm. that it happened in the entirety of it. But I think like as someone that has like severe anxiety, I think that. Um, like verbal crutches are very welcome to me. <laughs> I think they're great. Yeah. Saying um and uh and so like I don't mind that at all. Um, because no, I mean it's a it's supposed to be a conversation, right? Right. Like, it's yeah. not supposed to be this like speech that you've already written out. Right. Yeah. So whatever. I like it. Yeah. So I mean, poetry. I do too, and I think I like that it. the people who don't. Like Terry Gross, there was somebody um, during one of their. Um, I love her. <laughs> it's it's my dream to one day be on her show, mm. um, either as an in, like the interviewer who's taken over the Terry Gross show from. Oh her, my. Or as an wow. interviewee, yeah. Um, but somebody during one of their uh, drives, some they were getting people to like these are the people who support NPR and mm-hmm. why, and one of them was gushing about. Terry Gross and her really intelligent or her pauses that seem to carry a lot of intelligence and weight um and it's interesting that if if she because she says um sometimes but if she were to say um instead of have the pause right she might be construed differently even though having that space there and having that word do the exact same sort of work it's to allow your brain to kind of spin out a little bit yeah so you can figure out what you're going to say next and think about it a little bit instead of just saying stuff. Right. Good for her. Yeah. Anyway, that's nothing <laughs> to do with poetry. Um, uh, yeah, so, um, as with Sarah, who was the guest on the last episode, um, Anne-Marie is not a poet. No. Um, although, have you, you've written some stuff, right? I- I've written poetry. Okay. Because you... Um, I read poetry once. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, um, for those of you in Baltimore, there is a um, reading series called Writers and Words, yes. right? Um, it's usually every, like, third Tuesday mm. of the month, second Tuesday of the month. Definitely once a month. Yes. It's on a Tuesday. It's usually at Charmington's yes. um, on Howard Street. But... Um, kind of like with Sarah, um, the, the writers and words people will reach out to the, the writing community or people who are kind of writing community adjacent or, um, like in it, even if they're not writers, um, to read. And usually the people who, if they, if they tap people who aren't writers, they will be kind of the wild card where they can do kind of whatever they want. And Emery was asked to read and you were the wild card. I was the wild card. Yeah. And you, you wrote some... I wrote some poems. Yeah. Yes, I did. They were pretty well received. People, well, people like when non-writers try. (laughs) Um, And I had, I think, like, half of them were, like, serious, Mm -hmm. a little angsty, Mm -hmm. and then the other half were, like, silly. Mm -hmm. Um, One was about tumbleweave. So... (laughs) You want me to read that one, actually? Sure, if you have it. I ha- I'm pretty sure I have it. 
Let's see. If not, then just have to use your imagination. <laughs> um, yeah, so Sarah and I have both been wild card actually at this point. Um, I think I was the first wild card, which is um, weird <laughs> to me. Um, I had no idea why they were asking me to do anything. Um, I don't know if I have it. It might be forever lost into the wilderness. <laughs> That's, I think that's it. Oh, no. Well, Goodbye. sorry for getting your hopes up, everybody. Um, There's tumbleweave in it. Yeah. And if you don't know what that is, use your imagination. Then you can't afford it. No, yeah. <laughs> um, no, but when when you read, if, mm-hmm. if you were the first wild card, did you feel like you were setting the bar at any point? <laughs> or were you just like, I'm, I will just do what I need to do and get off the stage and mm-hmm. not? That one. <laughs> I felt like... I mean, I specifically asked them, like, why would you choose me for this? Um, what did they say? Well, so it was Miss Michelle Juno yes. was, like, the one that asked me to do it. And um, she just said, like, I think you'd be a good start to this. Like, you are kind of, like, an honorary MFA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because you're, like, around us all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, okay, well, I should probably write some poems <laughs> Or write something. I had nothing... I think I maybe had, like, one or two things at that time. Um, but it was also when Anthony had just left to California. Oh, so right. Anthony's my partner, and he went to California for his PhD for one semester. And um, so that's a lot of my angsty poems were about, like, traveling. And we traveled cross-country together, and I flew back to Maryland while he stayed in California. And so um, some of the poems were about, like, leaving or traveling or... Things like that. Um, And then the other, the silly poems were all about Baltimore and silly things that you see in the street, essentially. It was just, I was taking the light rail every day and just seeing the weird things in the street. Like, I saw a very sad happy birthday balloon, (laughs) and I wrote a poem about that. It was, like, in the gutter. Yeah. (laughs) It was good. And then the tumbleweed. If if there's any image out there that I feel could do justice to... um, epitomizing Baltimore it would be a <laughs> sad happy birthday balloon in the gutter. That's so real. <laughs> yes. So, or like the the yeah. benches that say the greatest city in America that are mm-hmm. covered in trash or like oh, partly missing. Yes, those are those are really wonderful. Um or the ones that say city that reads and we have like such a high um rate of illiteracy in this state or in the city especially. But yeah. Speaking of reading, yes, random segue. Random um, segue. Thank you. Totally unplanned. Um, when, like, what was your first experience or exposure to poetry? Like, when did you start reading it, in general, and then when did you have some sort of intimate personal attachment to it? So I actually have like a a moment in my life that this happened. And I feel like most people are like, oh, well, I just slowly over time start reading Mm -hmm. poetry. But I actually had a moment in which I started reading poetry. And um, so this moment happened in high school. And I was, I don't know, maybe 11th or 12th grade. And I had read 
I had been forced to read, as we right. all are, yeah. to read poetry, and I hated it. Right. I, we were reading, like, really traditional, like, lofty poetry. That was it the romantics, like, Wordsworth and Coleridge? Yes. And, yeah. And I was like, womp womp. Like, I am not <laughs> into this at all. Uh-huh. Um, and, but I, you know, I, ro- I rolled with it, because, like, I was a good student, like, oh, whatever. Right, um, yeah. And then we had to, like, write poetry. You know how they make you, like, write poetry? <clears throat> and I was really terrible at that. Mm-hmm. Um... But then I had a, I had a teacher in like eleventh or twelfth grade, um, I don't remember which grade it was, but she um, had us read William Carlos Williams, The Red Wheelbarrow, oh. and I was like, I told her, this is not poetry. What is this? What is this ridiculous? Like, I don't even know. He, it's like a couple sentences, mm-hmm. and he's just saying about no, this is so dumb, and she was like. Um, what? <laughs> like, me with all of my poet, uh, my scholarly poet, right, yeah. um, status. So, um, she's like, well, I want you to think on it, and then I want you to find poetry that you like. And I had never had anyone ask me this before, oh. and I didn't know that this was a thing that existed mm-hmm. at all. And so, then she ended up, I don't know if this was already part of the curriculum, I'm sure it was, but then she had everyone in the class find a poem that they liked, that they personally liked. And then we read it to the class, and then we analyzed it in front of the class. Oh. Um, or with the class, I guess. It wasn't really, like, a presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, so before this happened, I was, like, thinking about William Carlos Williams, and I was like, this guy is a joke. Like, what? how dare he, like, write this terrible poem? Um, also, I only I thought poems had to rhyme at this point in mm-hmm. my life. and um, And then I started realizing, like, after reading it a few times and really, like, thinking about it, and then I read the Plums in the Icebox one, oh, and yeah. I was like, what is this bullshit? Like, this guy's terrible. And then I was like, no, this guy is a genius, and he's amazing. And I don't know where the switch was for me, but it was like, I love that he was doing something that I had never seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was making me think about it. And I was like, this, like, these couple sentences in this mm-hmm. poem that are really simple, um, and really descriptive. He's, I'm sitting here for hours thinking about this, how incredible that is, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I still wasn't fully convinced that I liked William Carlos Williams at that time, which I do now. I like him a lot, but, um, I was like, okay, so I'm going to find a poem that I like. And as, as all teenage angsty girls do, <laughs> I found Sylvia Plath, uh-huh. um, who I still think has been, um, one of the most, like, a foundation poet for me, mm-hmm. um, because she was the first poet I found that I liked, and I found Lady Lazarus, that was the poem, and, um, it's kind of long, you know, but I read it, and I was like, who is this amazing feminist woman who doesn't care, mm-hmm. and is saying whatever she wants, um, and in a beautiful way. Right. And I read that poem one million times. And that's the poem I presented on in my class. So that teacher and William Carlos Williams are the ones that really made me wow. look at poetry in a different way. Um, I think maybe I would have gotten there anyway eventually. But mm-hmm. it like it changed the way that I think about writing and literature and poetry altogether. Um, because before I just thought it was like Wordsworth. Like boring. Yeah. Like I can't. If you tell me one more thing about the like environment, I swear to God. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, 
So I guess in as a follow up to that, mm-hmm. um, now that you've been, you know, like immersing yourself or have immersed yourself or at least kind of accepted that poetry is now a part of your life, mm-hmm. for better or for worse, um, what currently what does poetry mean to you? It's really a question. Um... The standard one that I'm going to ask everybody. I know, and I it was on the sh- I know, and I've been thinking about it all day, and I'm so, I have no idea. Um, I think poetry means a lot of different things to me now that I know a lot of poets. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really know a lot of poets, or people who call themselves poets, um, when I was, like, growing up, or, like, in undergrad. Um, but then, so Anthony, my partner, is a poet, um, and a writer. Anthony, who was on episode two, just to... Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and then I met so many writers and poets through the MFA program, um, which Michael also went to, and how I know Michael. Um, and just, and then also just in the community by going to readings and, you know, all those things. So I think poetry, now poetry means more than just the, what the poem is. It means that this is a real person behind the poem and that these mm-hmm. are it is a career path, it is a um, vocation for people, which I think, like, I don't know why, I just, you don't really think about that, maybe. I I never really thought about, like, this is an actual person, this is their life. Yeah, because you, I feel like with, like, artists or painters, if you say that you're a painter, Mm -hmm. or an artist, people are like, oh, okay, they accept that, but if, if you, if a poet were to say that they're a poet, Mm -hmm. There's usually a sort of implied, well, well, what else do you do? Yeah, well, how do you make your money? Right, yeah. <laughs> right, which I think knowing a lot of writers right now, because a lot of the writers I know are right out of their MFA or still in M- in their MFA, um, there are other jobs that are right. being done. And I think, you know, there is something to be said about writers um, being immersed in other jobs because it's really great for your writing right yeah you know Mm -hmm. um but yeah i think that there you never really think of like oh this is someone's job like i never thought about that before um which is very short-sighted but you know um it's also um like it is really really difficult to pull off being just a poet totally yeah i can't think of i can't think of anyone um like famous poet quote-unquote famous poet like contemporary mm-hmm. or not that is just a poet usually they're teachers or there's some mm-hmm. some other type of educator and right um and i think maybe there's i mean even the people that can sustain themselves financially on just their poetry mm-hmm. um i mean it's a very small number but even those people i think they want to be teachers and they right, want yeah. to go on tour and they want to have writing workshops and all of those things because there's something about connecting to people that's important um, just, when you're a writer. Yeah. I, yeah. I would agree with that. That, that, it, that. So it wouldn't necessarily be that they're a teacher because they have to be. It's they're, they're mm-hmm. a teacher because they're this. it feeds into the same, it feeds into their passion in a similar way as mm-hmm. writing. Right. Okay. I mean, I'm sure that a lot of poets do have to. Right. be teachers or whatever because for finances but mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of poets that 
or some poets that are rich enough <laughs> and make money enough off of their books or their poetry that they can do just that, but I think most of them don't, right? I don't know. If you're a famous poet, please let us know. <laughs> yeah. Because I was, like, I was thinking about um, Karen Hirschfield or, yeah. like, Mary Oliver, who, right. um, like, I think, I think Oliver taught at some point, or, like, at, at some point, and this is, you know, kind of like what, what you were alluding to, that um, if you're fresh out of an MFA, you might have to spend some time doing something other than right. poetry mm -hmm. as a as a means for um, you know, like financial stability, and then mm -hmm. um, you know you strive to reach that point that you don't necessarily have to do anything other than your art, mm -hmm. um, which in and of itself um, I think is a weird demarcation of success, like mm -hmm. any sort of artistic. Yeah, totally. Um, also, I'm we're gonna I'm gonna keep talking. Do you mind if yeah. I grab a book and put my laptop on it so it doesn't Not overheat? Not at all. Okay. You do that. Okay, so we can we can keep going. Okay. Um. So actually, not that book. That's not mine, and I don't. It's like a. Yeah, that's good. Okay. I'm sorry. No, it's cool. Um. <laughs> so. Sorry, guys. Um. So what does poetry mean to me? So the actual po poetry or poems themselves, um, I just, I think over time I've been learning like more and more of different types of poetry that can be, um, and how each poet has their own type of poetry, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and there's just something really valuable about being able to express yourself in that way. And sometimes I think there's an interesting thing about poetry where, um, some poems like haiku, mm -hmm. for instance, um, each word is so important and powerful because you are only using maybe 15 words, <laughs> 10 words, you know, um, and how to convey like a scene or a feeling or an emotion to somebody through just 10 words. Like how <laughs> that's so difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, very similar to, uh, the red wheelbarrow yes absolutely yeah um which maybe i think is why like lynn Carlos williams was a really important part of me realizing what poetry can be because yeah, he really does like he i don't know if he necessarily pushes the boundaries but he does a lot with his work because he has stuff mm -hmm. like the red wheelbarrow which are super super image like very mm -hmm. image heavy like that's yeah. the only thing in it right. um i think that he might be a part of like the objective objectivist movement or the objective mm -hmm. or I don't know okay where it's like it's no there's no thing in the poem but the thing or there's not like there's no <laughs> there's no talking about something except the thing that's so it's, its own poem there's no thing in the poem but the thing yeah but like the the idea I think I think that this is the case although again um I will probably if I need to do an addendum I will um but the I think that the objectives um, or the objectivists, or whoever, like that group was, um, was much more concerned, or maybe it's the images, that they were much more concerned with the image in the poem, and not necessarily, um, like, the, like the image was the base unit of the poem, and that was the most important thing. So like the red wheelbarrow, there's not really a whole lot else going on in the poem, except giving you this image, mm -hmm. like setting the scene of this red wheelbarrow mm -hmm. in the rain, by the chicken coop. Mm -hmm. um, 
but you do then you have his like plums in the icebox mm-hmm. one which is much more of it for me at least if, if i'm recalling it correctly is much more of like writing into a moment do you not think that the red wheelbarrow is that well i don't mean like maybe the moment of happening upon it right but the icebox one is like you're it leads it to this kind of moment of um, there's like some motion in it, hmm. okay. whereas the like the red wheelbarrow to me is it's like it's it's a static image. It's like a like a painting or a, like a something that you just see the thing. Whereas in the icebox one, like there's a little bit of a narrative with it that you know he he would have left them in there, but they were so whatever mm-hmm. they were that he had to eat them. And he's like sorry, you know. I I can see what you're saying, but I think that the red wheelbarrow does that too. In that mm. wheelbarrows are used for transporting things. Like they're yeah. they're not just to sit there. They're not just ornamentation for the most part. Like no, I no, like no, to I, think. Yeah. No, I agree. So I think that that also has motion. In that um, maybe oh, the somebody. Of... Yeah, like okay. yeah, like somebody's on a break or it's the end of the day and you're not using the wheelbarrow. It's it's static. It's sitting there. Yeah. And it's not being used and. By the absence of being used, it's creating a story. Okay, well, I, in my mind, I yeah. don't know. Well, I, for me, it's I meant it more along the lines of like how haiku operate, where it's like it's, oh, okay, like these I moments, see what you're saying. right? Where they're these like image-heavy moments that you ha- that happen, but they're not this this like you're mm-hmm. not writing into this moment. It's like you're just you're given the moment. Right. Um, whereas the plum, if I'm remembering correctly, which I don't know if I am or not, because I, the last time I read it was in. Like Betsy's class two or three years ago, mm-hmm. um, that it kind of tells a story. It's not. Yeah, it's yeah, not it the does. moment of like eating the the, right. the plums. It's like the the condolence of mm-hmm. I'm sorry that I ate this even Correct. though yeah. they were supposed to be in here. <laughs> right. Um, and it, you know, it's not the moment of biting into the plum. It's the the kind of like commentary mm-hmm. about it. Well, the poem is like a letter. Yeah. The poem is the condolence. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay, I can so see that's, that. So that's what I meant. It's like you have, yeah. and then you have his, his like, ambulatory, tendential mm-hmm, ones that right. are just kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, that you get kind of a, um, like, an appetizer course of a lot of different, like, within just his writing, a lot of different ways of how poetry operates and the mm-hmm. different, yeah. um, the different focal points that poems can have. Um and like different muscles that they can that they can flex. Right. And this is just one poet. Yeah. That's amazing. And he's not even like one of my favorite poets. Um I like him a lot, but he's not even one of my favorite poets, but I think he's so important to my like um, yeah, your narrative. Yeah. My my poetry narrative. Um Yeah. I I think he's great. I think um the way that he can like boil something down. Like mm-hmm. the same way with haiku or other types of short formed poems or even you know short free verse poems or whatever but um that's always amazing to me in poetry because i am in a profession that talking and more information (laughs) and more the more you talk the better it is you know Mm -hmm. um like we really value conversation and um and elaboration and all of that. And so it's interesting in poetry that some poets um, and some styles of poetry value the opposite, mm-hmm. where it's like, let's condense this 
as much as we can. Let's make this as small as we can with, with enough imagery for someone to get it. And I think that's really an interesting concept. Do you think that part of your um, attachment and attraction to poetry is the fact um, that poetry or writing in general can be seen as like a conversation with the author to the reader? Oh, totally. Um, I'm a really big reader, not just of poetry, but mo of literature in general. And um, I love that. I love feeling like I'm in conversation with the writer. Um, or like they're, I mean, there's a lot of ways that I read. Like sometimes I feel like I'm in conversation mm -hmm. or I am being told a story and I'm sitting quietly mm -hmm. or I'm part of the story. Um, and yeah, I love that. I think that's like one of my favorite parts of reading is feeling like transported into this realm that someone else has created for me. Who, have there been any other poets? Mm -hmm. I don't want to presume of a who, um, although I think that there probably have been. Anyway, um, have there been other poets that have like significantly altered your perception or your, um, like your understanding or the way that you experience poetry after um, Plath and Rome? Mm -hmm. Yes, there have. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think one of the big ones for me is Andrea Gibson. Oh. Yeah, well, I will get to this in a moment. Um, I'm pointing at a book on the desk that we're sitting at. Yeah, I actually went through some of my favorite poetry books and pulled out two of my favorite poems. Um, Which you are more than welcome to read okay. at either any point in this I might podcast. read them. You could just, I might read up. this. I think I might read this one. But um, So Andrea Gibson gave me a new view on what poetry performance can be. Ah. Um, because I... Well, I didn't really have a lot of um, exposure to poetry performance, and um, like I had heard of like slam poetry and stuff, and I thought that's cool, but not something I'm super interested in. Um, and then I saw her like on YouTube, <laughs> and I was like, "What is this? This is amazing." Mm -hmm. um, she is part of the poem when she's reading, um, and the poem is part of her. And I think there's just it's magic. And so I actually saw her live a few years ago oh, wow. a couple years ago she actually performed mary lambert opened up for her um who does the uh, she keeps me warm song oh mm -hmm. oh but okay. she also does um, yeah spoken word that's how she and... got recognized yes. right okay yeah so because remember she was on same love with macklemore yeah, yeah um yeah. so she opened up for andrea gibson which so the whole night was just magical to me but it was I've never been in a room full of so many crying people. Wow. <laughs> Her poetry is just so personal mm -hmm. um, and really just hits you right in the heart, in the gut, in the brain, in all the other organs you have. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're watching it, and I was with Anthony and two of our friends, and um, about halfway through her performance, I look over and all of us are just sobbing um as is 80 percent of the audience she just does something that is rare um and that you want like you want to and need to be a part of mm -hmm. and um and i still watch her youtube videos like pretty often because she's just incredible um my favorite one from her is the uh 
oh, I hope it's the right name, but the letter to the schoolyard bully. Um, I hope that's the actual name of it. I think it is. That is my absolute favorite. Um, and I think Michael's going to link you to it. So please, um, if you don't click on anything else in this whole interview, please click on that. I think it's, you'll be so happy. Um, I'll see if I can even find a, um, like a performance of it. There's definitely multiple performances okay. of it on YouTube. If you have a preferred one, feel free to send it to me okay. so I can link it. Okay. I do have one that I know is a little bit better. Um, but yeah, so like her poetry, reading it is great, mm -hmm. but there's nothing like right. listening to it or watching her perform it. Um, it's almost like in the performance, that's the, that's the way that it, it needs to be like incarnated received. in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah the, like, that's kind of what I meant when I said, like, she is part of the poem and the poem is part of her. Like, they're, when you are reading it on your own, it's still good. It's mm -hmm. still interesting and maybe, you know, evocative. But, but it, like, she she brings the poetry Right. It'd be the, to it's you. like the difference between reading a play, like Rosie exactly. Grant's Guild, yeah. Stern or Dead, and then going to see it performed. Right. And we all know that reading a play is, like, hard. Yeah. It's really hard yeah. to do because you're not creating it yourself you know mm. so anyway um and then i think i was what the book you're pointing to is my alice walker poetry mm -hmm. um it is uh revolutionary petunias and other poems and actually michael's the one that got me this book yeah i was about to say that that looked really familiar. yeah That's so one of the ones I got you a couple of years Lucas ago in, right? yes a couple of years ago michael got me two alice walker books and that was really a um, couple of years ago i think so at least a year okay at yeah. least um, I was going to say, I, I've, well, if that's a couple years ago, I've lost a significant amount of time <laughs> between then and Let's now. Let's just say it's a year then. I hope okay. you have not lost part of your life. Um, but Alice Walker is a writer um, that is so important to my life. She writes other things than just She writes poems, so like many things. Right? Ever, like okay. anything you ever want. She writes... Fortune cookies, did it. Done. Oh um, my God, an Alice Walker fortune cookie though. Technical manuals. Done it. Done it. I don't know if that's true. Presidential speeches. Probably. Um, <laughs> Joe Biden's benediction address. Did it. That was probably her. Yeah. I don't even know. This is all factual. What is a benediction? I don't know, but she did it. Yeah, she did. We didn't, we didn't do it. No. This, um, this, the text for this podcast, all Alice Walker. We're actually Alice Walker right now. Yeah. We're, she, we have we her on Skype Alice and she's Walker. holding up little cue cards as she's writing them for oh us to God. read from. That would that's not true because I would just be completely <laughs> dead right now on the floor if Alice Walker was in here. Um, she is a novelist mm -hmm. and a poet and an essayist and an activist um, and a person of color and a queer person and a feminist and every she's everything. She <laughs> Alice Walker is so amazing <laughs> to me and it's actually one of my goals in life. Like probably one of my only like main goals in life is to own everything that she's ever written. And I looked this up the other day because I was like, man, I own a lot of it, but I was like, man, this well, is how like... How long is her bibliography? 137, I think. 137 books. <laughs> like maybe 15 or 20. But I was, you know, a lot of poets like or writers, they don't have more than... Like 20 is a lot. Yeah, well, I mean, if and you're, I especially like, if, you're, I if you write many. other stuff, like plays or... And she's yeah, still kicking, are... so I know she's still pumping things out. And I'm like, Alice. What? 
I wonder if I could get her to do a chat book with me. Don't even say that. Don't even, what are you even doing? <laughs> if you ever get to talk to Alice Walker, you need to invite me along. Okay. She's an amazing human. Um, I've actually read this book that um, is like a collection of her like essays and interviews and stuff from when she was younger to whenever the book was published. And it's called Everything Has Changed. Um, and that reading that by itself is what made me like a huge Alice. I like, I already liked her from like color purple and stuff, but Mm -hmm. I was like, who is this human? Like she's incredible. Um, so anyway, I have poetry from her that I started reading. Actually you bought these for me and I think maybe only before then I had only read maybe one other book of her poetry. And since then I have read more, many more. Um, So I'm going to read one of her poems, if that's okay with you. Of course. Um, You could read more than one. Sorry, if you want. Let's stick with one for now. Okay. So this one is my favorite from Revolutionary Petunias and Other Poems. It's called Be Nobody's Darling. Be nobody's darling. Be an outcast. Take the contradictions of your life and wrap around you like a shawl to parry stones to keep you warm. Watch the people succumb to madness with ample cheer. Let them look askance at you, and you askance reply. Be an outcast. Be pleased to walk alone, uncool, or line the crowded riverbeds with other impetuous fools. Make a merry gathering on the bank where thousands perished for brave, hurt words they said. Be nobody's darling. Be an outcast, qualified to live among your dead. Alice, what are you even doing with your life? You are so amazing. Everything. She's doing everything. She's doing everything. Like, she's just so, cr- little, so incredible. Little known true fact, um, Alice Walker will be the first person ever to step foot on Mars. If she's not already done so, which is up for some debate. The Guinness people are on, <laughs> are conducting the, their necessary research to make sure that they have everything on the up I feel like up. you need to, like, put some sort, like, someone's going to sue you for this. So. It's not, how is this? It's not slander. It's a good thing, isn't it? What if she hates Mars? I don't know. Well, I don't know. Can you can you hate an entire like, <laughs> separate planet? Alice Walker can do anything. You know what? <laughs> Alice Walker needs to be the literary community's uh, Chuck Norris meme. Mm. Yes, internet, please start this. Guys, I'm looking at all of you. Metaphorically and figuratively. Do it. Get on this. Right now. He is actually staring at the microphone, so it is kind of literally too. Yeah. Right I'm I'm right at you. He's doing the eye thing. <laughs> okay. Um uh, anybody any other poets in your your like your pantheon of either a favorite or have done this most significant amount of change in your Um no, I mean, I have other favorite poets, but those are really the ones that have have shaped me as who I am as a reader. Um, are you going to ask me about favorite poets? I, I'm too big. Okay, so I should just say those poets then? I mean, if you want to. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. If, I mean, um, if those are the ones that you want to talk about, that's cool. Well, there are some other poets that I really just enjoy reading, like um, Saeed Jones is a newer mm. one that I really love. Um, he is the... <laughs> I think he's now the books editor for BuzzFeed. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but he has really wonderful poetry um, and essays too if you can find those on the internet nothing to do with Sage Jones it's something to do with BuzzFeed okay. have you seen the video of uh, them giving puppies to drunk girls yes okay that, when, I, when I saw that it made me think of you oh <laughs> that's real though <laughs> it made me think of my sister I sent it right to her <laughs> and actually when I saw it I had a couple drinks already so that's totally real um anyway anyway if you've not seen this go check out buzzfeed's drunk puppies to drunk girls. puppies <laughs> yeah whatever those they're, puppies they're giving, they're no giving puppies were harmed in the drunk making puppies yes yeah. they're <laughs> giving girls drunk puppies um okay so say jones and then also rigoberto gonzalez um is he, who is he the he's not the current poet laureate is he no he is not okay um but he should be. <laughs> He's. I love his poetry. He is a um, a Latino writer, a queer writer. Um, and I saw him perform a piece at AWP a couple of years ago. Ooh. Um, and I bought his book immediately. What? Like there at AWP, I bought his book. Um, and then he also is like super active on Twitter in the way that he's, like, really nice and will respond to you and stuff. So I kind of feel like we have a friendship, even though I don't think we what, do. What's his name? Rigoberto Gonzalez. Do you need me to help you spell that? You can no. figure it out. The internet will help you. Um, but he's incredible. Um, and... I think, you know, I'm going to just sit it out at that point. I think those are those are really good poets. If you guys need more poets, please let me know. But those are all really important poets to me. You know, I feel bad. I have to, I have to look up who the current poet laureate is. Feel, oh, yeah. I feel bad that um, I assumed that it was him based on... Because it's, um, it's a... He's either Latino or Hispanic or both. Yeah. Um, but I feel bad that I just assumed that, that was who it was based on his on his last name. Oh. Yeah, I don't remember who it is. Um, but I can picture his face, which is weird. Yeah. Um, it is weird. Well, because I've watched him read a lot of poetry, like on the internet. Um, oh, my stomach's growling. Is it like Thanksgiving yet? <laughs> we're getting coming close. Um, Juan Felipe Herrera. Wow, I oh god that was terrible i'm that was, so can we edit that <laughs> i might actually have to go edit that that was absolutely dreadful i apologize to my entire listenership and, and personally to alice walker <laughs> yeah and probably She's so upset. probably to juan as well probably i, I apologize anyway hmm. that's the Hopefully the only only dark dark spot on the <laughs> the run of soap poetry. Hopefully. Um who are your least favorite poets? We already got Wordsworth and all oh, no. romantic pricks. <laughs> Wordsworth. I don't wanna hate them, I just uh, Um I don't really have like a lot of least like the thing is, so I am not a writer or a poet. And so I, as a consumer of poetry... Only hang around the people that you like. Yep. I don't have... I don't feel indebted. I don't have to read poets that I don't like. Um, so I might read... You know, I give people a few chances. So I'll mm. read a couple poems. 
Um, but I am not sticking around if I'm not interested. And um, because I don't have like a professional um, debt to try out and, and consume various poets, like I just don't have to. And so I don't. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't think of it's like the words worth in them. I guess would be like the worst, but they're really not. Worst worth, am I right? Oh, <laughs> that was a high five, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think maybe I'd like them more now. Like, why do we push that on high schoolers? I don't know. I, I like that's the worst time of your life to read something like that. Yeah, you should be reading. You should be reading stuff like Alice Walker or Andrea yeah, Gibson or definitely um, like Andrea Gibson, like things or even that are like Anne Carson, who's doing like weird. Mm-hmm. Like, really, like classical in the sense of that it that it comes from that she's translating this stuff from, like directly from ancient Greek, hmm. but massively, massively reinterpreting it. Like autobiography of Red is based upon a yeah a, an old mm-hmm. Greek one of like the lesser known old Greek myths. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but like, and I don't know if that if it's just because that you know, it's part of the you know like whatever the the literary canon is that's been like whitewashed. Because um, a lot has happened to poetry in the development of poetry since the Romantics, which was kind of I think the start, at least in like Western literature, was right around the start of um, poetry not being the realm of the um, hyperlogical anymore. Because right. before that, it was like Alexander Pope and you know, like Ben Johnson, I think, or Samuel Johnson, one of the two. You're losing me on this. I don't even know. It's the guys who are writing during, like, um, Jonathan Swift, like the Gulliver's Travel. Oh, right, So it's like, um, it was very heavily influenced by rhetoric and by Mm -hmm. logic, and then these things followed certain rules, and... You know who hates rules and rhetoric and logic? Alice Walker. She probably is fine with it. High schoolers, though. Oh, yo, yes, yes. (laughs) Um, I forgot that we were talking about that. (laughs) High schoolers hate that. Why would you make them read something that is super, yeah. like, quote-unquote literary? Like, they're not... Because it, it has no. no... Unless... Like, maybe at some point I think that kids can get into that. But, like, when you're first starting out reading poetry, especially poetry, and especially because most people seem to not have a really good caliber of how to deal with it and right. how to talk about it, give them stuff like Williams or Gibson or people that make them either really think about what poetry is doing um, or people that they can connect to to mm-hmm. give them some way in. Right. Um, or I actually had a, a professor, I think, in undergrad that we, I think a lot of people, a lot of professors do this, but you take a song, mm-hmm. um, you take the lyrics of the song and then you analyze it as a poem. Mm-hmm. And like how interesting that is because music kids love music everyone loves music you know like teenagers love music and that's what they do that's what they consume the most of i think and um it's not like an old lady those good old kids these days um i think that that's really reaching them like you what you are consuming what you are interested in is poetry Mm -hmm. um you can take rap lyrics and analyze those as poetry and you should i've done that a lot with aesop rock yes and you should do like the that's how you reach kids I think not right, yeah. not like the romantic poets like no 
have so much hate for, like, <laughs> for I, forcing I have, that I on us. I appreciate Blake for what he was doing at the time that he was doing it, but... There but you are, do as an adult. Right, yeah. And it's like, <laughs> I... But there are definitely... Like, he's not in my top, Mm-mm. like, any favorite poets. Um, just because, like, I just... There's other people that are doing things that I connect more with. Right, right. Um, speaking of connection... Oh, good, uh, another good segue. Um... What is your preferred or ideal way of experiencing or interacting with poetry? Um, so I, I try to like interact with poetry as, in a lot of different ways. Reading. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also like reading in a few different ways. So like reading by myself, mm-hmm. um, reading out in a crowd, reading in nature, whatever. Um, or going to readings, like watching the poet themselves read, um, watching on YouTube. Um, I do that a lot. I also follow like, uh, I think it's called Button Poetry. It's like all spoken word mm-hmm. poetry. Um, it's very social justicey, so it's very feminist and very um, anti-racist and all these things. And so, um, like that kind of like YouTube or online poetry. So, but I think my favorite way to experience it, and um, I think this changes for the poems that I'm reading, but I love to go, I love reading. I love going to like community lit lit readings. Like I think it's, um, it feels really communal to me. It feels very personal and very, um, like I'm part of, I'm part of this. I'm here. This is an important thing for this person and for me to hear this. and it also helps that I know a lot of the writers in Baltimore, so I usually go and I know like one or two people on the bill, and then I stay for the rest and mm-hmm. you know hear usually pretty wonderful poetry or, or other types of um, writing. So, if you like, has has listening to somebody read their own poem or perform mm-hmm. their own poem um, had a negative impact on how like if you if you know the poem beforehand. Um, has experiencing somebody reading it like negatively impacted your opinion of the poem or like has like tainted it has that ever happened no I think it's opposite oh I think when I hear someone that's good yeah when I hear someone read the poem I like it more okay um because I can now see what they want me to see mm-hmm. um and no, I, I do think that there is something to be said about like um, as the reader, reading what you want to read and feeling the feelings you have. And those are valid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I also just, I really love seeing someone um, read because they want us to experience it in the way that they experience it. Okay. Um, and so that's kind of why I like going to readings um, because there's a lot of people, like especially the MFA students that like I've already read a lot of their work but I love seeing it performed I think it's rare that somebody doesn't perform it well because it's their writing and they are so passionate about it Um, I'm sure it happens (laughs) you know people get nervous and stuff but yeah I I love seeing it performed so would do you do you see readings as performing like that's what Mm. Is, in your mind, is that what they should be? It shouldn't just be somebody up there reading their poems. It should be actually some sort of 
like extra or like other or extra interpretation or I think let me think on that for a second because um, you keep you keep saying like perform. I keep saying the word performance yeah well I think that or is that like are the performances the thing that affect you more or make you like that widen your experience as opposed to somebody who's just up there like reading from their book I don't think that there is a reading that someone can do of their personal work that's not a performance. Okay. Um, I think that if you've written it and you are connected to it, regardless of how you read it, that's a performance. Um, I do think that there is a difference, like if I go up and I read something out of a book that I did not write, mm -hmm. that could just be a reading, you know. But okay. But if you're reading something that you've worked hard to create and curate, then um, I totally think that that's a performance regardless of how you do it. Um, okay. Yeah. Because you're, you're connected to it um, in a way that you want to have the audience connect to it, too. Right. Has, has listening to somebody read their own work um, like overshadowed the way that you like your interpretation of it or can like can those right I know what you're saying okay um because I'm I'm sure that no okay I don't know I think that they can coexist um well no I, I'm gonna take that back I do think that there is something about like oh I didn't read it this way um but but for you does that just like expand your understanding of it or does that like can you not from that point on not hear it that way or not see it that way I think I think the latter I think like maybe it does overshadow a little bit um or like so the thing that's coming to mind not that I've ever seen this performed but um Ernest Hemingway's the um the elephant's one what's it I don't know oh it's the one that, like, the interpretation of it is about abortion. Oh. But abortion is never spoken in the entire poem. Mm -hmm. Is it a poem? It's a story or a poem? I don't even remember now. But it's, um, clearly I know this very well. But it's, uh, I read this story in undergrad and had this whole idea about it. And I bring it into class, and the professor's like, no, this is, like, totally about abortion. And I was like, what? And so I now can never, ever read it the first way again. Mm. And so I do think that if something is completely different, mm -hmm. um, I think that it probably overshadows. But I think if it's similar, but just um, maybe slightly different in some ways, they can, then they, they can, can coexist. coexist. Yeah, which is usually what happens. It's usually not, like, that I'm so wrong about the interpretation. Right, yeah, because usually... Um, well, I know that not all poetry is used this way, but usually poetry is a way is a vehicle for like share emotions and share experiences. So it's right. not necessarily telling a story that it needs mm -hmm. to be that there's a like a point or you know like some meaning to the story. It's just this is what I felt. I'm gonna try to make you feel something mm -hmm. similar. Right. And you usually you wind up in kind of the same. Right. Right. Yeah. And emotion of any from any party is totally valid. Right. Um, maybe the actual interpretation of what's happening, right. like the factual part of it could mm -hmm. be different, but 
yeah, any emotions you have is it's valid. So yeah, as I actually, that's interesting. Um, Amy actually sent me something. Um, a mutual friend of ours sent me something yesterday about um, it was a excerpt from a book about uh, Frost's The Road Less Traveled mm. and how apparently everyone has been misinterpreting yes, it. Yeah. Um, which is one of those like you know it it's art so how can there be misinterpretation of it right but if there is a and that's the thing that's like i really don't know a whole lot about frost so the the revelations in the little segment or the little excerpt the fact that he was kind of a, a trickster and that he mm-hmm. like purposely did stuff to kind of confuse or to, right. to pull like to pull one over on other people um does that I mean there's obviously an like an author or a poet interpretation like his his own interpretation right, and his yeah, own meaning behind this thing but in the big scheme of things like does that matter like does that override what all these other people have right. felt or thought over over the right. years yeah cuz isn't no, that know. isn't that what the whole like close reader <laughs> mm-hmm. movement like move to just abolish the the author's intent totally so that whatever it is that you find although he did like the the stuff that I think the the author of the the book in the little excerpt was uh, David Orr, um, and he did use like he did cite things directly from the body of the poem to mm-hmm. kind of reinforce or to right. Um, so in that in that respect, I can see that as being like a close reading that there are certain um, lines and certain things that if you read the poem in that way, it can be evidence for saying that mm-hmm. oh this poem is not what everybody thinks mm-hmm. it's about. Um, well, I don't agree with like abolishing the author's intent either um because their feelings and their thoughts on it are right. also valid right. i no. think yeah. it's all it's all it can all coexist i yes. don't see any any need for us to say like oh well, what frost wanted us to read is so you know mm-hmm. irrelevant but also what we feel is not irrelevant either because right. yeah. that's our feelings and our interpretation so yeah yeah no i whatever let people do whatever they want. Do your dreams, people. <laughs> do your dreams. Um, we are getting actually pretty close to the end. Okay. Um, I'm at, we are on a pretty, actually on a tight schedule this time around because Thanksgiving dinner needs to be made. Yeah. Or in various stages of being done. Um, it's starting to smell good in the oh, house. I've been... God, no. Um, um... Were there any questions? So I'll ask you two more things. Okay. One, were there any questions on the little list thing that you wanted to answer that we didn't get to? No. Okay. <laughs> are you just saying that, or are there? I any? don't remember any. The ones that I answered already are the ones that I was thinking okay. about. So. Um, and the second one, as is uh, per usual when I have guests, is there anything that you want to ask me? So I've already listened to all but one of the podcast of the episodes that you have up so far. Mm-hmm. So I feel like a lot of questions about poetry have been answered already, mm-hmm. which is could be anything that you great. Want to ask me anything. Yeah. Um, Why well, it's heartening to hear that, like any that I'm actually this is has some sort of like educational or <laughs> like as a vehicle for you know. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. But, so okay. Um, have you ever mentioned who your least favorite poet is? I don't remember this. No. Who's your least favorite poet? Whew, um, 
No, you know what? We're not going to do a personal attack. Who is your... What's the least favorite poetry you've ever read? There you go. Now it's not about a person. Ooh. Um... <laughs> man, I took an entire class on this, but I don't remember the name. The, the period... <laughs> no, so... Clearly you did hate it. <laughs> um, the period in, uh, in English... Like the the country England, yeah, yeah. English history that came right before um, the Romantic period. Um, I want to say it was. I don't think it was Restoration. I don't know, but whatever that period is produced a lot of poetry that I really, really do not like. <laughs> um, like the Rape of the Lock is one of the ones that came out of that. It's just big. Like this guy like cuts off a piece of hair from a woman, and it's whole big. Like it's this high highfalutin epic ridiculousness it's just terrible um i think it's alexander pope's rape of the lock if anybody out there enjoys it awesome if also you should write in and tell us why you enjoy it yeah um, that'd be interesting to see yeah send me a message on soundcloud or um i could put I think my, yeah my gmail address is probably somewhere out there if not i can add it um no a, a lot of it is um a lot of poem, poems that have a regular rhyme scheme it is really, really difficult for me mm. to read. And a lot of, which is sad because there's a lot of poetry that um, that was being written, at least in the West, before um, the more modern kind of contemporary movements that was, uh, has a really repetitive and like very obvious rhyme scheme. Right. Um, and I can't stand it. As soon as I pick up on the rhyme scheme, I'm totally out of the experience of the poem. Um, That's funny. Because I, I start trying to guess what the next rhyming oh, word is no. going to be. There's, like, I've read some poets, some contemporary poets, too, that do it um, that do it really, really well. And the, the use of enjambment and stuff, and it's like the lines just, it rolls. And the, the way that they rhyme things are, are unexpected and... Um, like really like refreshing for lack of a better word like they're using language in a ways that ways that I would not expect um, but I also think that I, re I generally just like rhyming poetry because that's what so many people think poetry is mm. um, that in my mind it kind of reinforces um, like I, this is probably not a healthy view but in my mind it reinforces like um, what I would see is kind of like negative generalities and stereotypes of poetry. Mm -hmm. um, so like uh, strict five seven five haiku, I'm yeah. not a, I'm not a big fan of because and it's for the same reasons that it I in my in my view it reinforces um, the kind of quotidian view on whatever like that form is, mm -hmm. um, and that's like that's what people know about haiku is that it's five seven five and that's as far as they get and there's this whole like, I've spent the better part of the last, I don't know, like, two years, two and a half years, um, not, like, in really any scholarly or, um, uh, like, all-consuming sense, but I've been studying haiku for the, oh, like, yeah, better totally. part of, like, two and a half years, and there's so much more about the writing of haiku than I ever, like, realized before I started doing research mm -hmm. and looking into it. Um... But there are a lot of, and I've encountered this on Tumblr a lot, but there are a lot of people out there that are writing things that they call haiku that are not haiku. Mm -hmm. And it's mostly because it's like some, sometimes it's not even like nature-based. It's just they have the 575 pattern, and that's what they, they say it's a haiku. And I'm like, mm, no, mm -hmm. no. Um, 
Yeah, but I mean, there's there are poems out there, like haikus that I read in five seven five that are phenomenal, and other like poems that I read that rhyme that are phenomenal. But generally, um, the stuff that really catches my attention um, is usually free verse, mm-hmm. um, like with with no. Same here. It's like because it's for me poetry is. Um, let's see if I'll try to make this quick Um, poetry is like as close as you can get to um, like emotional telepathy with somebody else with a poet at least like the again the poem the poets that I'm more attracted to that they're really working to transfer the emotions and the experiences that they have Um, and poets that write in a much more conversational like plain spoken kind of just maybe not direct necessarily but um because there's a you know there's still uses of of metaphor and imagery and stuff and sometimes you have to kind of let that run for a little bit but poets that don't um use a whole lot of like really poetic sounding words or like heavy like poesy that sort of like the um romantic era stuff that's just like it just it like like if you're looking at a rococo or a baroque painting or architecture it just it seems too luscious it's very it's gaudy like, yeah it's like oh, get off your tongue um yeah so when when i read poems that are very um that are dappled a lot in that type of writing um it feels insincere and inauthentic to me because mm. like if i like if i was just having i feel like if i was having a conversation with whatever poet was writing that they wouldn't speak like that you know yeah i mean they might which if they do that's great it's just i probably could have very few conversations with that person um but like jane hirschfield or mary oliver or lee young lee um or even like bukowski which is not a good example but is one of the ones that i kind of always go back to it's like i i feel like if you were to sit down and talk with any of those individuals how they think about things and the ways that they talk would mimic or would be pretty um equated with how they write mm-hmm. it's just like it's their voice just in written form right um hmm. so and like when when you do when you throw in rhyme scheme and stuff it just it seems like it's too much of the art and too much of the craft that's being built up on this thing on this experience or this this thing that should be like a really simple direct you know, like as simple as have like a conversation with somebody. It does feel like um, a wall is being put up between the poet and the reader, or maybe even not a wall, like a pedestal. Yeah. Like I can do this. I am the artist, and you are a lowly reader. Yeah. And that's why I always felt, and maybe that's why I didn't connect with poetry when I was younger, because I felt like I don't get this. Yeah, it's why like the, yeah, I they're they're somehow hoisting themselves up like the, like yeah, when absolutely. you were when you were saying that it just reminded me of um when you said that, like the smug look on my face when i came up with yeah. poetry it's like that's sort of like uh like i came up with this and i know that i came up with it and it's good and that's sort of like that knowing <laughs> yeah which is again yeah. like it takes you out of the experience of just reading um because like the poem that you read by alice by walker. alice walker um there was none of that Mm-mm. like it it and it was still gorgeous. Yeah, and it's and, like it, it. Yeah. I think that the the hallmark of really really good poetry in particular, but writing kind of in general or any art, is that 
it simultaneously um, like meets you where you are, but also like adds another rung to the ladder of wherever it is that you're going. Mm-hmm. So it's not somewhere up above you, and you have to reach up for it. It's like it you meet it where it is, and it just kind of like it it makes you more buoyant. It mm, lifts you up right. higher, and I feel like Alice Walker's like that's that poem did that. It's like it met you where you were. You didn't have there wasn't any sort of like extra figuring out that you had to do, but there's some ruminations that you have to do, and there's some yeah. time that you have to spend with like thinking about it. But that's not um, like not in really like an academic sense, or I, I've used that term often or a lot of other times on the um, on the podcast. But I mean like the 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 kind of stereotypical negative academic scholarly tome where it's like people who are in the know that know that they're in the know and kind of look down on other people who aren't in that same position right um or like are very niche or very secluded from um from other stuff but yeah with with um be nobody's darling it very much felt like um like you could enter that you could enter into that poem within any any place that you are in life and it could still bring you like it like an escalator it yeah I brings see you up mm-hmm. somewhere else um, right. or invite and maybe it's the inviting of it it's like it invites you to, to think about it um and to contemplate and to meditate on it and through that contemplation and through that invitation you get somewhere new mm-hmm. um but cool um, I was wondering if I could read one more poem before we of finish. Of course. Fuck yes. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Okay, so this poem is also a poem I love. Um, so this is from an anthology, which is actually edited by Andrew oh. Gibson. Um, the anthology is called We Will Be Shelter, Poems for Survival. And this is the kind of book that if I n- ever knew any high school kids, this is the type of book I would give them because yeah. it's... It's in, so it's an anthology. It's written by a lot of different people. Um, this person is Megan Fowley, and I will give you this. So if you want to, um, you know, link it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting because each person in this anthology it gives their name, a very short bio, and then an organization that they're connected with. Oh. Um, so you can figure out like this. You know, so hers is Hollaback, which is a um, an organization devoted to end street harassment. And so, um, I'm just going to go into it. It's called Backhanded Apology by Megan Fowley. I am sorry I am woman. Sorry for the cicadas of my chest, how they hibernated for 13 years, then ruined your summer. Sorry for each freckle on my shoulder, speckles of dirt in your pancake batter. Sorry the high school banned tank tops so you could concentrate on your math. Sorry I bled on your couch. Sorry I didn't tell you, flip the cushion upside down. Sorry I grow hair like you. Sorry that even in television commercials for women's razors, it's always a bare bronze leg being shaved. Sorry I'm not already all the way removed. Sorry for walking down the street wearing that skirt. Sorry for the minutes it took out of your workday to gawk like that, to say those things. Sorry I didn't say thank you. I thought you were going to kill me. Sorry I keep my mail, front door, and apartment key between each of my fingers when I walk. Sorry I say sorry so much. Sorry you got fired for grabbing my ass like it was the candy on my desk. Of course it belonged to you. 
Sorry for all the ridiculous laws of gravity, too. I'm sure my breasts are very happy to see you. Sorry you liked breast milk so much. Sorry I fed you in public and then let everyone know you loved a woman then. Sorry I was your first home and didn't leave my body open for you to crawl back in. Sorry that the egg that made me came from inside my mother when she was inside her mother. Sorry for all this forever. Sorry you're on the outside of the joke. Sorry I bled on your couch and I didn't turn over the cushion this time. So good. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. I'm gonna loan you this. Okay. Anthology. I think you really like it. Okay. A lot of them are like that. <laughs> I, have an, I have an anthology that when you were saying that that was that would be the one that you would give mm -hmm. um, to like a high schooler for poetry. Um, there's an anthology that I have. Um, oh crap! I can't remember the name of it, but it's edited by Chelos Miklos. Okay. I think a Lithuanian poet. Hmm. It's not Lithuanian. Some some Eastern European country. Mm -hmm. um, but in it, there's like there's a poets from all over the world that he's translated. Some of them that he's translated. Some of the other people have translated. But just like poets from all time periods and all over mm -hmm. the world. Um, which is, I think, you know, like what an anthology anthology should be. A right. lot of yeah. different, different voices. voices. But he he groups them all in like. I think it's like stuff one's about nature one's about like human nature and stuff like that mm. so they're all like ones about birds i don't know they're all like they're all grouped together and that's really interesting to see that you have all these different poets writing from all over the world and from across time that about the same thing yeah yeah and the different like the similarities between the things that they notice but the uniqueness and the ways that they notice them and present them yeah yeah that is interesting <laughs> we'll trade anthologies. Yeah. I need to finish reading White Teeth, which I've not started yet. Okay. I, I you should start through, it first I was before you can finish a, it. Um, Mary Oliver collection of essays. Mm. Well, I finished that That's last night. Good so. Good. And it's I, time I, for Zadie Smith. We yeah. just saw Zadie Smith. Michael and I saw Zadie Smith do a reading about two or three weeks ago. Yeah, at, Hop at Hopkins. Amazing. Yeah. Randomly, I was feeling sick that day and didn't go to work, and then I was like, I can, I can feel good enough to see Zadie Smith. See Zadie. <laughs> She's yeah, she. I think I told you this, um, but I'm gonna tell it to all of the internet now. Mm -hmm. um, of the people that I've seen read, um, that have like a Q and A afterwards, yeah. she had the most thoughtful responses to all the questions that were asked her, um, which I like. I want to be that thoughtful if I'm ever interviewed, but I feel like that's something that's just her as a yeah, person. Yeah, I agree. That like I there's I would love to uh, to try to attain that or try to live up to that, but I just I don't think that mm -hmm. I don't think I can. <laughs> yeah, she is she is incredible. She is amazing. She also chatted to Anne Marie about the, her um, chest piece. Yeah, she liked my tattoo. She signed like three books for me. <laughs> Um, yeah, she was really great. She was really personable and she was wonderful. So anybody, if you ever get a chance to see her read or to talk with her, um, Do it. make sure you have a visible tattoo because <laughs> that will be a good conversation starter. Yes, it's true. All right. Um, so I think it's time for us to head back downstairs and continue with stuff Thanksgiving stuff. Yes.
good. Um, oh, I want to say that I'm thankful for you. Oh, I'm thankful for you too. Aww. I'm very thankful that you agreed to be uh, an interviewee. Yes. Yes. Um, for this. I know. Thanks for asking me. Yeah. I feel really like important being on a podcast. Did it? Did this <laughs> it's make my you... first podcast? Really? Yeah. I know. Oh. Did um. Did any of the questions that you saw on the list like make you think, like, more deeply or in a way about poetry that you hadn't before? Yeah, like every single one of them. Oh, good. That's, <laughs> that's a relief. That's I was ruminating hear. on them all day, all all morning while I was making food. So yeah, it was, it's cool. wonderful. All right. Best of luck for your podcast. Thank you. You're the only person that has wished me that. Ah. Like well, out loud at least. They've all wished it in their hearts. I'm sure. Hopefully. All right, um, so this is a wrap on episode six. Um, This will be up. You'll be hearing this probably a few days after Thanksgiving, so I hope everyone had a good um, eat holiday, food holiday, I don't know, whatever. Feast holiday is what you called it earlier. Whatever. Um, Yeah, and I will still, I'm still trying to come up with a good sign-off for this thing. Uh, So in the meantime, um, I don't know. Go do do something that you do your dreams. Do your dreams. There you go. Do your dreams, do your people. Dreams. Every every day, all day, and night too. <laughs> You're literally doing your dreams <laughs> at night. <laughs> okay, guys. Until next time.